0: I'm so grateful to to be where we are this morning. We have seen God doing so much in our church. And uh, we have had the opportunity now to walk through Revelation 2 and 3 looking at all of the churches that we see in in this text. And we've looked at six already. And this morning we reach the final church. And I don't know if I'm uh, allowed to say this but I think the best one is last. Um, I love this text. I love this text. Our final church is a church or city in a church named Laodicea. And Laodicea is my favorite church of all the churches in Revelation. Um, And I don't say this lightly. We've looked at six churches and each one of them have uniquely challenged us and, and, and spoken to us. In some ways, it's like, Jesus has been speaking directly to us. Um, this morning, though, fair, fair warning of all the churches, this one is the hardest one for me. This is the one that tends to smack me between the eyes more than any of the others. Laodicea is a doozy. So let me paint a picture for you of this, of this church as we get into this incredible text. Um, Laodicea, it's, it's important to kind of have some context a city in what is now um, uh, modern Turkey, large city, commercial city. But here's the deal. I want to boil it all down for you and give you what you need to know about Laodicea, all right? There are four things that you need to know about this large commercial city. They were wealthy, well-dressed, had great eyes, and bad water. Okay. Laodicea, as weird as that sounds, they were wealthy, well-dressed, great eyes, poor water. All right? We're going to get into that description here through this whole thing. But for now, wealthy, well-dressed, great eyes, poor water. Let's get into our text. We're going to start in verse 14. Verse 14 of Revelation uh, chapter 3. And Jesus starts off with this. And to the angel of the church and Laodicea write, the words of the amen, listen to this, the words of the amen, the, tr- the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. All right, I promise I won't go down a real long rabbit trail here, but what we could. What a powerful introduction this is. Like, listen to how Jesus describes himself he says first the words of the amen that's just awesome Jesus is identifying himself as the true one the truly truly one the the God who is true then he says faithful and true witness meaning he is true and trustworthy in a world that changes and shifts all the time he is forever faithful true and then lastly the firstborn or the beginning of all creation Reminding me of John 1, that in the beginning was the Word. Reminding me of Colossians 1, that says that that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is Jesus, and this is who is speaking. The true one. The one who is true and the one who tells the truth. The one who was, is, and will be forever. The God who can be trusted Jesus is basically saying, listen, I'm about to tell you who you are, but before I do that, it's important for you to know who I am. And I'm the one who tells the truth. So beautiful. then from here, Jesus continues, warning, he doesn't start positive. A lot of them he does. Not this one. Um, He just jumps right in. And and in fact, in fact, do you remember the four things I said? You know, wealthy, well-dressed, great eyes, bad water. Jesus starts with the water. He starts with the water and he says this in verses 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you from my mouth. Now, um, Let's talk about this for a little bit. There is a, um, a fairly common interpretation of this verse. I want to be very careful here. There's a very common interpretation of this verse that, um, although I understand how we get it, I want to argue is a misinterpretation. Um, here's what this common understanding of this text says. It says, listen, listen, hot means that you are on fire for Jesus. It's a Spiritual flame, right? You're you're set on fire. Hot means on fire, passionate for Jesus. And cold means outright hostility against Jesus. So there's this passion. It's, It's you're either hot with passion for Jesus or you're cold with passion against Jesus. And here in this text, the interpretation goes that Jesus would prefer you to either be hot, passionate for him, or frigid cold and hate him. Just don't you dare be somewhere in the middle. That's the common, you know, understanding of this, that Jesus does not like middle ground. He does not like not passionate people. And... um It's like he's saying, listen, I want you to be passionate for me, or I want you to hate me. Just don't be somewhere quasi-passionately in the middle. Um, There are two problems with this interpretation that I wanna bring out. Uh, And I'll boil them down into into two camps, content and context. All right, let's start with content. Um, There's a problem with that interpretation. And the problem is is that I can find nowhere else in the Bible where Jesus prefers you to be either hot or frigid, just don't be blah. I can't find it. I can't find that kind of language in the Bible. I I cannot find it. I would argue that God desires you to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. God desires that for you. Now, is it great to be on fire for Jesus? Yes, it's fantastic. It's it's fantastic to be passionately on fire for God. Um, But I would argue that this text is not primarily dealing with your spiritual temperature. Your, uh, Your walk with Jesus, by the way, it will have highs. Praise God for those highs. Praise God, when you just feel his presence and you're on fire, like, you know, celebrating baptisms, that's a fire. Praise God for those moments. But we've talked about this over the last couple weeks. You, want, you, you know what else your life is going to be filled with in Jesus? Seasons of trial and at times drought. Dryness. Dryness. In the last thing I want you to hear, in a season of dryness, say, great. And I was already, you know, bummed out about being spiritually dry, but now I read Jesus is gonna vomit me. He's gonna spit me out. It's the last thing I want for you to hear this morning. As crazy as this may sound, follow me here as crazy as this may sound, I believe passion can be completely overrated. In fact, I believe that the Bible talks about perseverance, endurance, steadfastness, obedience, faithfulness, dedication, humility, trust. I believe, church, that the Bible is chiefly concerned with those things. than it is with your current level of passion. So, I could say more, but I wanna get to another part of this. So that's the content problem. I just don't see it in scripture anywhere else, but it has a major contextual problem. So this city was located between two ancient cities, one Hierapolis and one Colossae. Uh, Hierapolis was about six miles away, pretty close, and Colossae was about 10 miles away, again, pretty close. Here's the thing, Hierapolis was known, it had amazing natural hot water springs. That's just awesome. I, it was it, pure hot water, I mean does anyone enjoy that? I mean a good hot shower, that's good. Good hot coffee, good hot tea, it's awesome. Not even to mention the cleaning purposes or the medicinal purposes for good pure hot water. It's awesome. Hot water is great, and Hierapolis had it. And on the other hand, another 10 miles away, you get Colosse. That uh, was a city famous for its natural, cold, pure, refreshing cold water springs. That right there is awesome, too. Like, how many love a good cold water? I know that I do. We live in San Antonio, Texas. It's, uh, we're fortunate it's not 97 degrees right now. We love cold water. And cold water is great. But you know what's not great? You know what's not great? Laodicea. It had nasty, blah, not hot, not cold, blah. Nasty For the city, that was a problem. And in fact, in history, we, we, we know that, that Laodicea built massive infrastructures to pump water from other places because their water was terrible. This is before hot water heaters, purifiers, and refrigerators. This was a real problem. And you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is looking at this, this church, this city, and... and it, it, Here's what he's doing with this lukewarm statement. He's looking at them and saying, Church, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see your works. And it is as nasty as your water supply. It's as nasty as your water. Jesus is saying, Oh, that you would be hot water. I love hot water. I love hot coffee. Oh, that you would be cold water. I love cold water. I love iced coffee but don't be day old nasty room temperature coffee do not be lukewarm because that's nasty and i'm going to spit it out i'm going to i'm going to spit it out so here it's not that jesus is saying look 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 i would rather you be you know you be burning with passion for me or ice cold against me just don't be somewhere in the middle what jesus is saying here is look Hot water and cold water are good. Your water is nasty. Lukewarm water is nasty. And so we need to ask, Pastor, if you're telling me that lukewarm water is nasty and it's not about passion, then what does it mean to be lukewarm? Right. That's the question. What is Jesus saying here when he looks? When Jesus looks at this church and says, I see you and I see your works and they're nasty as your lukewarm water, what is Jesus pointing to? Really glad that you asked that question because here's what Jesus is doing. He's pushing on something much deeper than your current level of passion. And I believe we get to see this unfolding. And it starts in verse 17. First couple of words of verse 17 is for you say. I want to pause right here because two big observations on for you say. The first is the word for. For is a connecting word, it is a word that you could maybe translate because. For. Because, it's a connecting word. It's Jesus's explanation statement. So he says, look, you're nasty like your water. Your works are nasty. And here is why, because, or for. There's a for statement, because statement. It's an important one. And then the second observation is the pronoun, the you. Uh, We have said this multiple times, I wanna say it again. Most of the time in your New Testament when you see the word you, it is plural. It means y'all, why is that? Because in English, when I'm referring to you singular, I use the word you, and in English, when I refer to y'all, if you're not Texan, you use the word you, we don't have two different words. Well, in scripture, nine times out of 10, you can assume that when you see you in the text, it is plural, it should be y'all, all right? except for this text. This text is singular, and why is that important? Because Jesus is not talking to y'all, a group of individuals. He is talking to you as a collective church. As a collective church. So this lukewarmness is attributed to the church. It's, it's, like, it's like Jesus says, you, Stone Oak Bible Church. Now, yeah, we're comprised of individuals, but what Jesus is referring to is the collective, the you. And so here in this text, it says, for you, or for, that means because you, church, and because you say, and let's take a look at what they say. This is, this is, this is lukewarm. It says this, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered, I need nothing, I'm rich, I've I'm pro- I- I prospered, I'm awesome, and I don't need anything. That's what you said. What an incredibly arrogant statement that is. You know what would make Jesus want to throw up? It's the heart that would lead you to say, I'm rich, I'm successful, and I don't need anything. The heart that would lead you to say that. You know what this is, church? This is self-sufficiency. This is self-reliance. To use the verbiage of our text, our attempts at self-sufficiency I'm rich, I'm successful, I don't need you. All of those attempts are as gross as lukewarm water. And I want to push this analogy just a little bit more. Um, let's go back to the water analogy. Do you know what happens if I were to pour you a really beautiful, fresh cup of hot coffee? Do you know what would happen if I were to set it here and leave it to itself, to let it be, in our verbiage, self-sufficient? Do you know what a self-sufficient hot cup of fresh coffee is? Lukewarm. You come back later and it's bleh. <laughs> It's one of the worst feelings when you pour hot coffee and you forget about it until like three hours later. It's the worst because it's, it's lukewarm. And, and at the same time, do you know what happens if I were to pour you a really good cold cup where, where it's like condensation on the, on the I'm thirsty now, um, and I were to just leave it there to itself? over time it becomes lukewarm self-sufficient water is lukewarm water here Jesus is saying the same thing since your works are self-reliant Your works are self-sufficient. You think you have it all together. You think you're awesome. You think you can do your own thing. You think you can succeed. You think you can win. You think you can build and function as a church even without me. You say I am rich, I have prospered, I don't need anything, and it's gross. I want to pause here because surely we as Sonic Bible Church 2021, uh, we wouldn't say that, right? We're going to come back to this, but, but just to cut right to it in a moment of kind of stinging honesty for me, um, I truly believe that the greatest indicator of a heart that would a self-sufficient heart, a self-reliant heart, a heart that would lead us to say, hey, I'm rich, I prospered, I don't need anything. I believe that the greatest single indicator in our lives to check our hearts is our prayer life. I wanna put this bluntly, then I'm gonna move because we're coming back, but you will not pray like you ought when you say or when you think to yourself, I'm rich, I'm successful, and I don't need anything. A self-sufficient church is a lukewarm church, and a lukewarm church is not a praying church. Lukewarm like their water. Now, I wanna come back. Remember, I gave you four weird descriptions of Laodicea. I wanna come back to the others now. Um, Remember, they're wealthy, well-dressed, great eyes, poor water, talked about the water. Let's hit the other three. Let's talk about their wealth. Laodicea was wealthy. It was very wealthy. It was a booming city. I have a weird record for you uh, that I found. The, um, we have actually in history that around 60 AD, there was a massive earthquake that flattened Laodicea. And you know what happens in most cases when a hurricane, or not a hurricane, an earthquake, when it flattens a city, that city needs help to rebuild Like aid comes in. We see this all the time in the news. When disasters happen, we send aid to help, right? That's what naturally happens to cities when they get hit with disaster. But here, do you know what we saw? Not Laodicea. Laodicea, we have record that they were able to recover and rebuild from this horrible disaster with absolutely no imperial aid. No aid from Rome at all. They were able to rebuild because of the great wealth of their city. They're a wealthy city to be able to do that. So they're wealthy. Let's hit the well-dressed part. Um, Laodicea was also known for its, this actually is one of the reasons that made them wealthy. They were known for their textile industry. And they would export wonderful clothing to the ancient world. They were known for this. It would have contributed to their wealth and their identity. This is Laodicea. We make great clothes. So wealthy, well-dressed. Let's hit the third. Uh, Great eyes. Laodicea had great eyes because this city was known for exporting medicine or solve for eyes to all of the ancient world. They made it there, exported it. It's another reason why they're super wealthy. Probably another thing that, that just made them who they were, their identity, contributed to their wealth. And so they were wealthy, they were well-dressed, they had great eyes. With those things in mind, listen now to how Jesus meets them where they were and listen to the way he hits their self-sufficiency. He says this. First of all, they say, I am rich, prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Poor, blind, and naked. Talk about hitting them in their identity. You think you're wealthy, you don't even realize you're poor. You think you specialize in eyesight, you don't even realize you're blind. You think you're awesome in your clothes, you don't even realize that you're naked. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is picking apart this city, this church's self-sufficiency, breaking it apart. More accurately, Jesus is opening their own eyes to their own self-sufficiency because they don't even see it. Self-sufficiency had made them like their water, nasty, bleh, lukewarm it's such an incredible statement, and it calls, it needs to call us to ask a question. How are we like this ancient church? How have we trusted in ourselves over Christ? In what ways have you and I, have we said, I need nothing? In what ways have we said this? I, I pray that the Spirit would open our eyes to all of the ways that we have said this. And I want to share something with you before we finish this text. Um, When we first started Stone Oak Bible Church, we had a calling to this community. And we were so excited to get to the work, to plant a church here in this community, to plant a gospel community that was intentionally simple, that didn't rely on all of the bells and whistles to get people to see Jesus, but who could just come with Jesus and say it's enough. We wanted to be intentionally simple so that we could be gospel-centered. We had this vision to plant. And and I remember in that process, we did a demographic study on this community, North Central San Antonio, um, the Stone Oak community. And I wanted to share just real quick four things that were on this demographic report in light of this church here in Laodicea. The first, the median income of this community. This was a 2015 study, and back then, the median income, the, the annual salary of this household income for this community is $131,000 a year. That is the annual average salary for households here in our community at Stone Oak. Just for some perspective, that's high. Uh, the state average right now is 54 thousand. So put that into perspective. here in our community, we have two and a half times the state average as an average median income. Question number two: When asked then to rank from one to five, one to five, how would you rate your pursuit? Of wealth our community answered two that's actually not surprising what that means is is you typically see higher numbers in in communities that are struggling economically because there is a passion desire for what is not theirs and typically you see lower numbers in communities that are more affluent Um, so this isn't surprising question number three when asked to rank from one to five, how would you rank your pursuit of your career advancement? Our community, one. Again, not all that surprising because what this shows us is that the majority of our community, the majority are comfortable relatively with their careers and how much they have advanced. There is a, there's a comfort relatively in our career advancement. So uh, let's take in the final question. So our community, who by the way is earning two and a half times the state average of income, our community who has achieved a good amount of wealth, who has achieved a a good amount of success in our career, question number four, when asked to rank from one to five, how would you rank your overall sense of well-being Our community answered one for some perspective. That is significantly below state average. That is significantly below national average. That is hugely telling. In a community who is largely self-sufficient, In a community that is largely self-reliant, in a community that has the ability to be self-sufficient and self-reliant, there is a general lack of well-being. In other words, according to this demographic, and I was blown away by this, it's not our bank accounts that are bankrupt. It's us, it's our sense of well-being that is bankrupt. And this is, this is our community. And, and honestly, to be direct, this is one of the predominant reasons that God has called us here to minister here in this community to stand up and to say self-sufficiency is bankrupt and Jesus is better. Money is not evil. Your self-sufficiency is. But we're never gonna be able to do that I want you to hear me. We are never going to be able to fulfill that ministry if we ourselves as a church are relying more on ourselves than we are on Jesus. Um, I want to share one of the greatest fears I have as a pastor. And it almost kept me from being a pastor. Uh, You you can ask my my wife about that. Um, I have a huge fear, especially in the beginning, because I saw that it would be completely possible To plant a church, to do great things, to accomplish things in ministry, to see great things happening, and in my heart to have known that it was done completely on our own strength. That it was us trusting in our own money, our own size our own ability, our own strength, our own charisma to build Christ's church without Christ. It's possible, completely possible, for us to fool ourselves to thinking that we can reach a self-sufficient community by planting a completely self-sufficient church. And to that, Jesus looks at that and says you're lukewarm and you're nasty. You think you're rich and you're poor. You think you're clothed, you're naked. You think you see, but you're blind. You think you're great, but you're broken. I pray that God would expose any ways in which we have trusted in our own abilities, our own self-sufficientness, not a word, made it up, And that we would instead return to him and run to him in prayer, in dependency. And from that place, that we would now listen to what Jesus now says in this text. Listen to the grace and the compassion that Jesus shares. For the the community, for the church, who says they don't need anything, who are self-sufficient, who don't even recognize how blind, naked, wretched, and lukewarm we are, Jesus says this in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me. Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Solve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Church, that is so good. Jesus says, you want wealth? Come to me. Your high median household income is not gonna cut it. Come to me, buy from me and what I give you will be real, true, lasting, eternal, and pure. True wealth is in Jesus. Last Tuesday, we had um, our prayer gathering and uh, one of our elders, Dan, um, he prayed something. And I know you're not supposed to stop in the middle of prayer meeting, get out a pen and write down what someone says. I think that's not allowed in prayer meetings, but he prayed something and it stopped me. And I wrote it down. He said simply, Jesus, without you, we have nothing. With you, we have everything. Yep. Yeah. It's so good. You just have to reach over and write that one down. To have everything but to not have Jesus is not to have anything. And to have, you can have nothing but to have Jesus. We have everything. Jesus says, come to me, I will make you wealthy. Then he says, come to me and I'm gonna clothe you. Listen, church, ever since the garden in Genesis 3, we have run from him and shame and nakedness and try to find fig leaves and try to hide from Jesus. And, and here Jesus is saying, come to me and let me clothe you in white. That is purity. That is righteousness. and all of your brokenness, come to me and I will forgive you and make you clean. So I will make you rich. And these riches are far better than what the world offers. I will clothe you and I will take away all the shame and the nakedness from you. And then third, he says, come to me and I will give you salt to anoint your eyes. Jesus heals the blind both physically and spiritually, reminds me of the most popular song ever, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus here is offering grace. He says, I counsel for you to come buy from me. I will give you white garments. I will anoint your eyes. And then verse 19 Those whom I love, I I reprove and discipline. Let's take that in. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. At times, church, I think it's really easy to think that of God being this real punitive God who just wants to, you know, blast us and smite us when we do bad things, to think of him in that light, to think of him you know, punishing the wicked with an iron fist. But here's the deal, church. For those of you who are in Jesus, we must begin to understand that our God is a good Father who disciplines those who he loves. For you who are in Jesus, God's aim, I need you to hear me, is not to punish you. Why is that? Because Jesus took that punishment. All of it not for you to take his aim is not to punish you for your sin in Jesus God's aim is not to punish you but to sanctify you to make you more like Jesus to grow you to be more like Jesus and I don't want you to hear me wrong I know I'm talking about like hey it's awesome those who God loves he rebukes but let me tell you this don't hear me wrong it's not going to be pleasant like, this is not going to be pleasant. Discipline is not pleasant in the moment, but in its time, it will bear fruit. In fact, one of the distinguishing marks of the grace of God in your life is the reproof of God in your life. That sting of conviction is the very evidence of his love. Those he loves, he reproves, and he disciplines, so be zealous, he says, and repent. It's not, hey, be better, stop it, clean yourself up before you come to me, then I'm going to love you. The call here, no, is repent, zealously, eagerly, repent, and with the time we have left, I want to finish with the hope that Jesus gives us in verse 20. Verse 20, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm gonna come in to him and eat with him and he with me. This is another one of those verses I've heard a lot. Um, I I have heard many times this verse to be used to understand Jesus' relationship with the lost, that Jesus is like, we have the lost person here and we have Jesus going like, like wanting to come in, let me in, let me in. Um, Here's the thing though. By the way, I love the way Jesus engages the lost, don't hear me wrong. Um, But I don't think that's what we see in this text. The reason for this is because first of all, Jesus is here referring to the church. He's referring to the church. It's the church that's on the other side of the door. It's the church that's on. So I wanna paint a different picture and I want us to use our imaginations. Let's pretend that we're all in a house, big old house, we're all in a house. And, and we are just doing what the church does. We are doing the ministry. We are doing all the things that we get to do as the church. We're, we're singing and preaching and fellowshipping, caring for the poor, launching ministries, doing all that churches do. Let's pretend that we're in a house all doing all those things. And then we hear this. We're doing all the right things, except Jesus is not in the house. Jesus is on the other side of that door knocking, and how absurd is that? I mean, he's the king, he's the shepherd, he's, he's the Lord, and he's on the outside looking in. Church, that is the imagery of this text. It's a self-sufficient church that says, "I am. we're rich, we're awesome, We've won. We don't need anything on the outside of the door. And Jesus knocks, and he's in, here's the deal, self-sufficiency and Jesus' lordship, they do not mix. Only one Lord, not both, and Jesus here is inviting this church in his grace to exchange their self-sufficiency for himself. And so he knocks, and he says, "Church, I will come in. I will be with you. I will eat with you. I will be your God, you will be my people." There is hope, church, but it's not in ourselves. It's in Christ and Christ alone. And here's the call. Jesus is calling us, all of us, to realize and to see our own self-sufficiency and to repent and to let him back in the house. to understand he is better. And to the one who conquers will be granted that we will sit with him on his throne as Jesus has conquered and sat down with his father on his throne in verse 21. And then listen to this. Here's our prayer that we've prayed every week. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, let us be a church who has an ear. Thank you.